right so i guess you can't uh, afford to choose the latest hip javascript framework for what you're doing <laughs> no no <laughs> let's let's hope we don't choose javascript anything for uh, for something that's flying you're listening to the good code podcast and i'm your host sanket in this podcast we talk to experienced developers about the art and science of writing good code and everything around building and maintaining software good code podcast is supported by deep source which is an automated code review tool that helps developers write better code check it out at deepsource.io today i have with me brent bradbury on good code podcast he is head of software at stoke space technologies stoke is a rocket company that delivers satellites directly to their final orbit at 20x lower cost they do this using 100% reusable rockets designed to fly daily prior to building reusable rockets uh, brent was director of engineering at docusign and before that a few other saas startups welcome to the podcast brent thanks i'm glad to be here so jumping right into it uh, i want to start talking uh, about what made you want to build reusable rockets coming from an enterprise saas background yeah you bet you know i think if you talk to um a lot of engineers and maybe many engineers and maybe all engineers um uh you find that at the at the core of what makes them go is they want to make something um uh, they want to build something great um for me building something great is about building the future um i'm excited to show up um be alive and and hopefully make the world a little bit different because i was here and so that's uh, that's kind of what led me into the rocket space and actually has defined i think this half of my career um uh, i've been focusing on on stuff that i think is is new and and uh and and is going to result in a change so that's that's what led me to rockets and how much rocket science quote unquote rocket science did you have to learn to prep up for this role you know i think i think a role like this is interesting because um uh anytime you step into a startup um uh there's there's always a, a very big shoes to fill uh, impossible to fill with yourself like part of the job is is getting um uh the, the shoes filled with with the right people you know whether it's it's um you know myself or or people i can bring into the company um and uh so the the necessity of rocket science wasn't as high you know the, the founders of the company are a rocket scientist everybody else in the company is a rocket scientist um uh, i maybe uniquely am not one uh and the the you know that's that's kind of a function of of their um goals of of doing the same uh they know that they need a whole bunch of support and they need a whole bunch of um of uh of, of software tooling built around the problem and uh and so that was kind of the reason to go reach out to a, a somebody who's coming from like a an enterprise saas background is that um that understanding of that space and how to kind of pivot and turn those tools towards this problem uh they see as as key um so i had to learn very little to come in um i will say that there is a lot of on the job learning about all of the problem um it's as much of a manufacturing problem as it is an engineering problem um as it's as much of a of a, of a uh, inventory and uh supply chain management problem as it is a um a manufacturing or engineering problem um and so i'm kind of having to come up to all this this beat on all those things uh, all at the same time um but i love that uh, that's i let's my favorite part of of any engineering job is is coming up to speed on whatever the actual problems and issues are um and uh and and so you know i think i think what i bring to the table is the is the knowledge of how to get software done um some knowledge of what software is out there 
uh, and uh, and and the ability to kind of step into uh, a place like that where uh, I'm not sure of all the parameters initially, but you know we can we can kind of bring the right the right solution to the right problems. And what kind of software do you build as part of building reusable rockets? It's a great question. We build so much software, um, uh, or or we we certainly need so much software. Um, uh, certainly, we have to leverage a lot of commercial software to 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 get off the ground. Um, the uh, the you know the thing in a startup is that there's not momentum. Um, uh, you, you if you're in a big mature company, there's processes, there's people like the the essential functions of the business have been occurring for a while. Um, that's not true in a startup. Um, and I find that that a that a great way to get down the road a little bit um, is to uh, is to is to buy a bunch of stuff. Right. And so, um, uh, so we've we've bought software for for a lot of our just basic business functions. Um, I'll I'll shout out to DocuSign since I was there before, right? Stuff like that, right? So so just basic um, uh, basic business functions. There's a lot of a lot of stuff that's off the shelf. Um, the software that we have to build though is um, uh, is stuff that's either um, uh, very bespoke for our use case. Uh, or um, stuff that is uh, kind of a, a, of critical importance to our success. Um, and those are usually one and the same, but not always. Um, so an example of that is um, uh, managing our, our uh, inventory. Um, uh, the, the, the rocket or AVI, or uh, it's called aerospace manufacturing, is very different um, from a lot of other kinds of manufacturing in that we're doing very small runs of of uh of manufacturing and we're also doing it with with um, very specific constraints um and so you know we're we're building this reusable rocket it's it's a it's a you know new and novel design that that the basically is is what the company is based on and so what that means is that um we're not making parts that we know how to make yet we, we are designing the parts validating the parts then bringing those parts back into the into the company and building them into bigger parts um and so uh, that workflow is very different from a production scenario or a, or a traditional production scenario where you know that you're trying to make, you know, 10,000 uh, uh, widgets and that they all have these given inputs and these given raw materials and it's very predictable. Um, for us, uh, the, the work of, of tracking inventory is much more around um, uh, creating pedigree and uh, creating an understanding of um, of uh, all the steps that a, that a really individualized, serialized part went through uh, before it wound up uh, wherever it winds up. Um, so for that, uh, for example, we're, we're, uh, we've, we've grabbed um, uh, some some open source stuff and we've started to modify it to, to kind of um, uh, work with our use case. Um, another big topic in terms of uh, in, like in terms of internal development, I think the sort of the other big topics for internal development are. Um, uh, managing our test data. So there's like a, there's a data platform element. Um, I spent time um, in my sort of enterprise SaaS time uh, working with data platform stuff. So this is going to be your, your SageMaker, your Spark, the Jupyter Notebooks, all that kind of stuff. Um, creating that ecosystem or that ecosystem is very modern uh, compared to, I think, with the, with the sort of baseline expectation is in aerospace. Um, and those tools are great. Um, and so uh, we're, we're leveraging a lot of that stuff uh, to become our ecosystem for understanding uh, the data around the performance of, the, of these parts. Um, the whole company is oriented towards manufacturing, testing, iterating, right? And and the the speed that we do that um, is going to directly result in in the speed of execution of of the overall goal. Um, and so uh, so everything that we can do to surface, hey, what was the most recent test on this piece of uh, on this piece of inventory? 
um, uh, what were all, what was all the data that came back off of that? It's all kinds of different time series data, primarily. But there's there's like video and stuff as well. Um, and uh, and where did that end up? Um, and then we, we need to take that that idea, that question, and and answer it for the whole company um, all the time, like every day. Like that's that's really our core operational um, loop is uh, build apart, test apart, <laughs> build apart, test apart. Uh, and then I guess I should also talk about um, I should also talk about uh, the other the other big piece of software that we need to go build is avionics. Um, so we have an avionics group who's responsible for that. They have experience building avionics software that flies rockets, um, and uh, and and that's its own special beast. Uh, it's, it's kind of been interesting to have a window into the uh, into the avionics world because it's not like a thing that that um, I encountered in enterprise SaaS for sure. Right. So is it fair to say that a lot of software that you're building today helps? the rocket scientists or who are actually building the rockets to test their hypothesis or to test what they're building, uh, the designs that they're building into real world. Is it fair to say that? Yeah, I think it'd be fair to say that. I think that that's the scale point for the business, right? Like, like we need to, we need to, to if we can scale the ability to, um, uh, to acquire, build, uh, test, um, iterate, um, that's what we're trying to do as a company. That's that's the goal of the company, and that's that's what that's what's going to take us towards that success. I think I think that um, that ability to iterate combined with the ability of um, of, uh, of of the systems engineering folks to watch the whole the whole picture and to help um, collaborate uh, across the the whole picture of like, hey, are the parts that we're building do they sit inside the envelope of of what we've defined as as success? Um, uh, being able to do that and then systematically spread that out across the company. Like those, those really are the two things, you know, but, but those two things together will end up with a rocket at the end. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say that. And how much, how much of the software goes on board a rocket that you build? You bet. Well, that's the avionics software. Yeah. And so that's, that's, um, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a big uh, kind of device driver footprint. Uh, that's actually what, what has been surprising to me about that is that, um, uh, you know, you think about like what's it take to fly anything. Uh, you, you have to have some sensors to know where you are and you've got to have some sensors that they can alter the, the flight path of the thing. Um, or not some, some, some actuators rather, uh, that, that alter the flight path of, of the vehicle. Um, and, uh, some compute, you know, to kind of keep track of all that stuff. Um, and so the, the, you know, by sort of SAS or big data or, or even just the modern, you know, kind of horizontally scaled website standards, the amount of compute is very low, right? Like we're talking like a, you know, kind of desktop horsepower level of, of compute on the, on the, on the vehicle. Um, but, uh, the integration points are extremely high. A lot of these, uh, actuators are, are very specific. They're, they're built for, you know, flying rockets and other industrial applications like that under, under challenging, uh, um, physical circumstances. Uh, and so they may or may not have like a lot of driver support. Um, and so we spend a lot of time with, with that. Um, and then, uh, the, the guidance system is interesting as well. Like we have people who are very focused on that. They focus their whole careers on that and often their whole academic background. Um, and, uh, that's, I, I won't say that that's, um, it's not, it's not super computationally intensive. It's, it's, um, it'll, it'll fit kind of in that compute profile. Um, but, uh, validating the whole system is, is a challenge. Um, so we don't, we don't have the, um, uh, you know, you don't have the luxury of, of having a thousand nodes that you, that you can roll a change out to, uh, you know, maybe a small number of them and then roll it back if it fails. Like you get one kind of shot of this working well. Um, and so we're investing heavily in the, 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 the validation of that software. Um, and you know, I can kind of talk about that, but it, it comes down to, um, uh, feeding a lot of, uh, a lot of. A, a wide array of, of all possible input and then and then uh, managing um, 
the responses that that software sort of collectively has to that that input. Right. That's that's interesting. So you talked about validation, and you talked about avionics that goes on board the rocket. So. I want to talk about validation. So, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned is uh, you get only one shot. Like, you know, in SaaS world, you push a release and if it doesn't work out, you can roll back. Like you can roll back immediately. There are systems to automatically roll back and nobody gets hurt. How is it when you're building <laughs> reusable software, uh, reusable rockets? Well, it's not like that. Uh, and you know, I'll, I'll say that like I'm, I'm learning, uh, I'm, I'm learning, I think you maybe would expect a, a SaaS person to be learning. Um, but, uh, it's, it's not like that. So, so basically, um, uh, first of all, we'll have onboard redundancy. So we'll have, uh, probably three with we'll an odd number of uh, onboard, uh, uh, computers that will, um, uh, have to agree that, that, you know, a given, uh, a given output is, is what we want the rocket to do. Um, and so there's, there's that sort of operational footprint, but before anything gets, gets deployed into that operational footprint, the, the validation step is, is, um, uh, what you referred to. Uh, so, um, we will take. Any given build um, of uh, of the the software that's going on board, and we will um, uh, we'll run Monte Carlo tests on it. So we're going to take um, uh, a random selection of of the corpus of possible inputs, and we're going to run it across um, uh, that that uh, avionics uh, uh, profile, uh, and we're going to see how it behaves. And then we're going to take all that uh, behavior, and as time goes on, we're going to keep tracking, like you know, for each new build. Um, what was the what was the behavior? Future build was the behavior. We'll be able to see hopefully some development and improvement, and we'll, we'll also be able to look for um, possible uh, you know uh, um, anomalous behavior or behavior that we don't want, um, and then um, be able to have a fairly quantifiable uh, confidence in in the outcome of of, of flying the software. Um, so that's that's the strategy. It's, it's put it up front and try it a lot, um, and that's that's where it kind of comes back into my world of like. Uh, making sure that we're building out the the cloud tier that can that can do all that. Um, uh, if you think about deploying that into a into a traditional scenario, um, uh, if you only got one node sitting there to run that Monte Carlo simulation, you're stuck like while well, it's chugging chugging through all of it. So we can get a lot of value out of um, uh, you know throwing a lot of concurrency at it. Um, and that's that's actually a good example of of inside the company how to, how does that work, right? Like the avionics folks are really worried about getting that right, um, but I'm worried about making them fast. Right. And how do you, a related, uh, related question to this, how do you measure the effectiveness of your testing? Say, to give an example uh, from where I'm coming from, say in SaaS, you know, we, uh, uh, we measure metrics like code coverage, and then we look at the alerting data, we look at exception data, there are a bunch of tools out there. Um, in your world, how do you do that? Uh, from uh, very, very similarly with with the work sort of pressed up front, and so uh, we will have, um, uh, um, I guess I'd call it a flight envelope or or, or um, uh, input and output constraints, and we're looking for things to stay inside those constraints. I think that the rest of the tools are actually really similar to the rest of SaaS world, right? Like we, we certainly don't want exceptions popping out of the code while we're flying, so we'll look out for that. We'll just do do basic, um, uh, you know, checking of logs and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, we will also have, I mean, one of the, one of the constraints that we'll have will be, um, uh, you know, CPU memory profile, that, that kind of thing, right? Like, so is, is the, are the mechanics of the software, you know, and independent of its behavior, are the mechanics of the software working out correctly? Um, so I would say it's, it's basically the same as SAS with all the work pushed up front. And then with the addition of, uh, we have a lot of, of, um, of, of kind of, uh, Bounds checking that we that we do on a continuous basis. Like for every every tick of the of the um, of the of the flight profile and the flight inputs and outputs, we will we will bounds check every single thing that changes and, and make sure that it stays in range. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And shifting tracks a little bit. So you mentioned a bunch of things that you're, you're doing with software, you're building software for. Uh, what is the most interesting of these things? Uh, you know, uh, we're early in our journey. The company is is uh, only a few years old and and uh, and we're, we're, we're just now getting serious about creating that software footprint. Um, but I think that the most interesting, well, actually, I think, I think there's, there's a couple of, of sort of beautiful challenges. So I think, um, one of the beautiful challenges is, uh, really delivering on the, um, ability to find any given part and it's, and it's tests and it's like, what's it participated in and, and where is it? Um, you know, I think early in my career, I was always frustrated by integration challenges because they tend to be so tedious to implement. You know, as a as a coder, you've got you know two or three pieces of software, and you got to make them talk, and like that's that that can be a that can be really annoying. Um, but uh, the the beauty of it is that um, uh, these are very disparate problem spaces, right? Like the problem space of of keeping some inventory in a database. And um, tying it off with a data platform that's performant and works well, and it's going to make people, you know, it's going to delight folks who are used to Python and Pandas and all that stuff. That's that's a real challenge. Um, and so uh, I'm excited about that. Um, and uh, I also think that the um, uh, the there's a there's always I, I always always enjoy problems of optimization in software um, and um, getting the company to iterate quickly. Um, especially around these like these challenging uh, um, large sort of computational problems, um, I think is really exciting. There's there's an element of of, of HPC and and uh, and we'll, I guess we'll call it big data, right? But there's um, uh, I always really enjoy taking a lot of compute and applying it to a problem and making somebody happy really fast um, because I did lots of computers, so I'm excited about that as well. Right, but okay, so. Uh, uh, so you have two kinds of software that you're building. Again, uh, going back to one of the interesting things that I wanted to ask you is, and you talked about optimization, right? So you have some off-board uh, you know, software, which is around like the data platform and figuring out all the test data and helping uh, the other people in your team to use that data. And the second is the onboard software. But the onboard software, as you said, you know, it, the, one of the constraints would be it doesn't have a lot of compute, right? So what are the optimizations do you do for your onboard software? Because I think, you know, I would assume you can't just simply throw hardware at it, which we are very used to doing in SaaS, right? If something is not working out, we just throw like EC2 instances at it and, or increase the specs. How do you do that for onboard software? Certainly, the the um, uh, we'll put a lot of effort into into just checking, right? Like just just finding it out. Um, uh, you know, there is there's absolutely um, uh, the the chance that we will bring in um, uh, as many tools as we can to to kind of do things up front. Um, the you know certainly if you think about um, uh, stuff in that space. Um, uh, we can we can we can worry about uh, what's the pedigree of the libraries that are going in there. What's their performance characteristics? Um, we will be very disciplined about um, threads and how many of them do we have and how much time do we have to run them. Um, uh, there's uh, there's always a, a discussion, and I'm going to leave this this discussion is is one I should leave up to the avionics folks, right? But there's always a discussion of of use a real time OS or not, um, and then you enforce that uh, that constraint on on the on the code itself. 
Um, and so it, it really turns into a lot of upfront surveillance <laughs> if we were to give it a, a one sentence version. Okay, fair enough. Um, and what technologies do you use? Uh, I know you mentioned that you use a lot of existing tools, existing products, uh, open source products, but specifically, say, programming languages or frameworks, are there any specific or generic frameworks that you use for anything related to what you're, the software that you're building? Yeah, you bet. I, I, it's actually surprising. Um, uh, the, the, in terms of like um, communication on board, uh, Docker, and um, gRPC and, and just the basic service interfaces, kind of service interfaces are, are a, a great way to go. Uh, Docker's great because it allows us to, to predictably package so much stuff. Um, uh, and um, I don't think that you'll see us, you know, go put Kubernetes on Porter Rocket. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But in terms of making sure that the binary is out there and that there's there's no funny business around what are its surrounding libraries, um, that's that's a very common thing for us to do. Um, and then uh, physically, the way that this lays out on the uh, on board is um, uh, very similar to kind of microservices. Uh, so you'll have like some physical backplane, you know, maybe host that compute, uh, and then you'll have sensors that are that are around and actuators that are around, and then they're often communicating with something that either is Ethernet or is very similar to Ethernet in terms of its behavior and abstraction. Um, and so uh, for that stuff, uh, um, uh, you know, just a basic service framework is great. Um, and so, uh, most of the, most of the code that we're writing on there is going to be C++. Um, uh, we've, we've kicked around the idea of, of other languages, but, um, uh, with C you get the, you get the most, uh, the most, um, driver support and library support that you're going to have. Uh, if the manufacturers are, are, um, providing a, a library, it will be a, a C compatible library, um, and very predictable semantics around, uh, its behavior. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's C, so it's dangerous, but. Uh, yeah, it's danger that everybody understands and there's a lot of industry energy behind and all that stuff. Um, and so that, that'll probably be, uh, in terms of what actually gets deployed, it'll, it'll almost certainly be, um, C, C++. So when you make a decision on what technology you are using, uh, do you think the biggest driver of that is existing support, um, of the drivers that are present or something as like, you know, again, comparing it with, with how we decide what technology to use in SaaS. Like we don't do that there. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Um, yes, uh, the, it's certainly a more conservative world, right? Um, for us, when we think about moving quickly, um, you know, uh, maybe an interesting example is considering like, hey, what if we were to put Rust, you know, uh, in the middle of all of this? Um, and, and Rust is great, right? It, it's, uh, it brings a whole bunch of, of um, you know, call it, call it basically static guarantees about its behavior to the problem. Um, and uh, I think that, the, that the, the, the challenge there really is, okay, how do we accomplish the whole um, uh, if we do this thing that's, that's maybe out of bounds or not, like kind of out of, out of, the, out of the norm? Um, and that's always a judgment call, uh, you know, even in, even in enterprise SaaS world, right? Like, um, certainly I've been in a lot of startups and, and we've been like, you know, we'll, we'll take, you know, the, the smaller startup, the, the more adventurous will be about what language choices we are. Right. Um, very successfully, one of the folks or one of the, one of the places I worked, we, um, chose go, uh, and we scaled that out across an org of, I think we ended up at, at 60 or 70 people writing go at the end of the day. And just about no one came in with it. And it was a great decision. Um, certainly on a, on a rocket, like we can't be dabbling with, with, um, uh, um, a garbage collection or any kind of any kind of uh, 
um, non-determinism, like you don't want to introduce to the problem. And so that's a, that's a big part of it, right? So any, any decision that we make on the rocket is going to be like more deterministic, not less. Um, and in fact, that's, that's, I think the only things that we've considered are, are how do we add more determinism to this situation and not remove it? Um, and then the other major thing are basically the other, the other major thing is the economics of, um, of, of adopting that versus just sticking with the main line. Um, and that really, that goes back into that, that ecosystem consideration of, well, the economics have to consider the engineers because like we have to hire engineers and then the economics have to consider, um, uh, the, the, the effort that it would take to train them up and then, um, you know, have them, have them take on, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the, the gap is. And, um, uh, the, you know, that's, that's a judgment call that we have to kind of imagine and, and, and come up with, but that's kind of how we make the decision. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like what you said about, uh, determinism, you optimize for uh, deterministic behavior. Uh, I don't think I don't think we think about uh, that a lot when we are building SaaS, right? Like you know, you know, we have the no. liberty to no, no. I, I think that I think we just take advantage of the of um, of kind of the, the the funnel to production, right? And you just like throw some stuff at the top of the funnel and it, it bites back. And I think. I think that you see that in a lot of SaaS orgs, it's, it's almost intentional at the at, at the engineering leadership level to create that funnel, and and uh, it, it allows you know I think I think it actually goes back to that theme of um, of of independent fast iteration, right? Like independent fast iteration, that's important for any engineering task, uh, and and in SaaS, the strategy can tolerate basically uh, creating a, a funnel to prod and uh, and letting you know people fall out <laughs> as, as as they discover more and more bugs and get closer and closer. Um, so, so in that way, uh, um, you know, or in terms of the necessity, it's the same necessity, right? But it's a very, very different uh, approach and, and uh, you know, kind of way that you, that you achieve success um, uh, if you're flying a, a, single, a single expensive thing. Right. So I guess you can't uh, afford to choose the latest hip JavaScript framework for what you're doing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> let's, let's hope we don't choose JavaScript anything for, uh, for something that's flying. <laughs> okay. What about automation? Uh, what kind of automation do you have in your software development workflow today? Yeah, so so um, you know this economic discussion is, is always uh, is is always so crucial um, in a startup environment where like you have incredibly limited time, right? And you probably have limited capital, but we're even more limited on time. And the the um, so what's what's sort of a, a delight in terms of product offerings these days is like GitHub is very full featured. Um, uh, I think they've done a, a great job over the last couple of years. Um, uh, uh, adding smartly to that product. Um, and, uh, so where we would have been grabbing multiple tools, you know, maybe Jenkins, um, uh, maybe one of a lot of other CI tools, although for, for many, many years, it just had to be Jenkins, uh, and, um, uh, a package manager, um, uh, I can't remember the, the product escapes me, but like the, um, uh, the artifactory, you know, uh, we don't necessarily need those because GitHub is a lot of that stuff out of the box. And now they're investing heavily and very intentionally in it. So that's where we started. Um, uh, we started with 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 GitHub uh, Actions. Um, the great news is that like the it's it's really easy to make people happy once they've seen Jenkins. So uh, GitHub Actions are great. They're they're delighting people who are coming in. Like folks are super excited to work on it. Um, and uh, and then um, we're using just just still using just GitHub to manage the uh, the the packaging. Um, I think that we're going to get into a discussion of of managing uh, the the C plus plus packaging because it's always a mess. Um, but I'm hoping that we can rely on Docker pretty heavily for that. It, it does a good enough job um, uh, that you know or, or solves the problem by 
uh, solves a problem with the, with the with the blunt instrument of like just package the whole thing together, right? I think that's probably the right answer for the for the C packaging problem. Um, so it looks like GitHub and GitHub Actions um, and GitHub for packages, uh, and and we we're going to make it just prove itself. Like that's that's where we're starting because it's simple. We got one thing. We're already paying for one thing. We don't have to manage more. Okay. Okay. And uh, to kind of uh, talk about uh, some high level things, uh, what is the most counterintuitive thing? After having built enterprise software, and then now that you're building software for rockets, what is the most counterintuitive thing about building software for reusable rockets? Yeah, you bet. Um, uh, I did not expect um, the... Well, I did expect it, but it, it, the, the degree to which it's true uh, still surprised me. The, the, the amount of upfront thought and intentionality that we have to put into the software that runs on the rocket. Um, uh, in, uh, in enterprise SaaS, you know, you do need to be really thoughtful about broad architectural strokes. So, um, uh, you know, I think a classic example is understanding how, um, how you can partition, uh, your, your service load as it faces, you know, the internet, uh, is, is a, is a challenging and important thing that has to be sort of defined at the high levels of the organization, uh, or, or, you know, it'll, it'll, you will be able to scale your, your enterprise SaaS. Um, but the implementation of that is it tends to be encoding those decisions into core libraries uh, and then handing those core libraries out to to the to the the engineering workforce that's that's like solving the problem. Um, in the in the rocket world, it's much much more focused, uh, at least at least from what I've seen, and then like the contrast that I would I'd say I recognize much more focused on um, on uh, the pushing that analysis up front and. Um, uh, putting it into the uh, the hands of the individual engineer, but like um, the the funnel is not one of like, hey, you know, work inside of this this set of libraries and like you'll be safe. It's much more like, um, uh, you know, here's here's our grand vision for the the envelope of performance that we have. Uh, let's take your build of your most recent software and check it against that performance envelope, and then check all possible inputs. Um, so much, so much thought goes into that, and you know, I think the other, the other thing that I'm excited to see, and that I'm really glad that I'm up close to, is the the systems engineering aspect of it. Um, so, you know, I think in enterprise SaaS, like I don't, I, I, I don't think that I've seen um, uh, systems engineering uh, as defined as, uh, you know, considering the the major um, uh, operational blocks of the system, how they interrelate, and their their major sort of desired performance constraints. Um, uh, and then communicating that formally, and then uh, then validating that any individual subsystem is performing inside those constraints. Um, I've never seen that done with a level of intentionality in, a, in an enterprise startup, or uh, sorry, enterprise SaaS um, environment. Um, and I think that that's that's like a thing that I wish we could bring, you know, to the to the enterprise world. Um, and I think that um, you know one of the things that I'm actually hopeful comes out of out of this experience is that um, you know. I'll be able to like take some of what works in aerospace, like pivot it around and make it work uh, for for uh, the enterprise SaaS world. Because I think there's there, there's um there's so much inefficiency and then so much waste and uh, so many failed projects, right? Like um, uh, because those essential constraints are never identified and communicated about, um, and because the individual engineers who are making decisions that are that are leading to those outcomes um, can never see it, right? Like either they don't have the perspective because they haven't been doing it for long enough, or um, uh, by the time it happens, it's like escalated to someone who's like 47 steps away from the problem. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the things that I, I'm like super excited to see, uh, you know, um, uh, come out of this and, and, and hopefully adapt it to, to different situations. Awesome. That's, 
that that makes so much sense and uh finally what are you the most excited about like your work at stoke space what are you the most excited about in the next say six months yeah well so the the next six months um i'm excited just to like the the company is growing really fast and we are um uh it's it's so crazy to see you know physical development of of new things that haven't existed before right like this the the, the rocket design is is interesting and new and it's not like everyone else's rocket and um uh seeing that come to fruition like even in the time that i've been at the company um uh has been shocking and like the plans that we have for next year are super exciting and so i'm, I'm really excited for that uh, and i think long term what i'm most excited about um is uh you know like there's a real shot here to change some so to make a disruptive change to some economics that like um uh, like affect the world globally right um and so if we can start putting stuff in space there's a there's a really interesting chance to use some of the um uh, sunlight it's it's very sunny in space it turns out right and so uh when you start changing economics to the degree that we're that we're thinking about it um really changes the story in terms of of the uh the expense of reaching that energy um so that's really interesting and then um you know if the rocket is fully reusable it means it's all coming back which means like we can put stuff in it that all comes back um and so uh it might mean that we can have a, sort of a novel um and very dramatic transportation <laughs> scheme that, that develops um and so that's that's some of the long-term things but in the in the next six months I'm, I'm much more excited just to just to really feel the um uh you know a lot of the a lot of the, the investments that we've made in the last three months um they're gonna they're gonna immediately pay off right and so it's really exciting to see that so quickly awesome this has been uh, super insightful uh brent uh thanks a lot for your time today and you bet thank you so much Thank you.